Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 347. If it's not new, is it news? Recorded January 27th, 2019, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining us, as always, are your stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Oxygenator. Welcome. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome, faithful Opiites. Way to Opie on. Hey, it's uh, first new show of 2019. No. Just, just no, first news just, show. Yes. Not news, news show. show. News. No, show. not news yeah. show. News. Did I say new? You, this, oh. Just the two S's went together. News show. And yeah. Bad host. Yeah. News show. It's difficult. That. Yeah. That. Anyway. Yeah. So this is, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it um, because it's, it's electrically charged. But last week uh, was Martin Luther King Day, um, you know, and it was the day before we did this um, recording. Um, and, and that day, a friend of mine and I were at lunch at a, at a restaurant, um, and next to us was, uh, a couple man and woman, probably not a couple just by the way they interacted with each other, probably business partners. He was Asian. She was black. Um, and my friend and I were sitting across, uh, the aisle from them. We were both white and it, and we were having just a conversation, just a general sort of conversation about MLK Day in general. And what struck me about this is that I felt absolutely constrained about what I could say about Dr. King or about the holiday or anything because within earshot of me was a black woman and an Asian man. And I'm not even going to go, you know, uh, I, I don't even want to go into the whole thing there, but it just, uh, while we celebrate strides in, in where we've, where we've, where we are and where we have been, there's still so much of a, a politically correctness gotcha attitude that I felt constrained in what I could say, and that that if every if not every word I said was utterly glowing about the man or the holiday, that I would somehow be um, offensive or wrong to those of a different race. So while we've come a long way, we still have a long way to go. Any thoughts on that? I just that just popped into my head just now as I was reading the date on that. I remembered that event, and uh, it's like we've for for some for some people in the culture we've we've the pendulum has swung to the point where you know we are less free than we were. I don't, is that even that, that's just wrong? That sounds like check your white privilege there. Anyway, maybe we should just get off of this hot rail. But you guys have anything to say before we move forward? We as a culture are less mature and unable to even hear viewpoints that are different from ours without being offended. Yeah, Yay, um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. When when I first came to the America in '89, I was kind of the guy on the outside looking in, seeing this, and not understanding what's the problem. And it wasn't just a lack of historical reference. I mean, you know, I learned more over the years about history and how horrible this whole thing was. But it's just there's kind of like a, I don't know, maybe it's just a sense of I was the outsider, the minority looking at the whole thing. I wasn't the minority in this particular context, but I just sort of looked at it and go, well, everyone's from everywhere else, everywhere else. So we all get along. Why is it any different here? But, you know, it's not. I mean, that's a simplistic way of looking at things. But there are a lot of countries out there with a lot of different people from a lot of different places, and they have to learn to get along. It's just a matter of timing. It just takes a while. Yeah, we, because we don't study history, or not, and not even study it, because we, we refuse as a culture to be aware of history, we tend to accept the gl- the gr- glowing praise that this one particular historical period was perfect or this one particular historical period was hell on earth and the entire period is painted that way and there isn't any um you know there isn't any allowances for it might have been bad like this but it was good like that or just because it was good for you doesn't mean it was good for me and so we just make these broad sweeping statements that 
And if you say something that doesn't line up with that narrative, you're ostracized and shunned and shamed. And I don't know. It's a, uh, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yay America. I don't want I don't go too far in it, but the, you know, the conversation we had before we started about the make America great again, hats and the, and the, you know, the kids being falsely accused of being a thing they weren't, it all ties into the whole narrative. And as we, as we talk about a news show, I am, I am frequently lamenting what we call news in this country. And Seth, you nailed it with this title. Is it news? If it's not new, we'll never talk about anything new, uh, on a news show because that's what news is. That's not what news is in our country. Um, and the, what we, what passes for journalism makes my stomach turn on a regular basis. And maybe we'll talk more about that. But I want to move on to something super important before we go on. In, in my red Netflix DVD, anybody remember those? I'm the last guy in the country that still subscribes to that service. <laughs> I remember um, them. I was talking to a guy today when I mentioned that, and he was like, he didn't even know that that was a thing. Like, to him, Netflix has always been a streaming service. He didn't even know. But anyway, in the red uh, envelope this week came the much-anticipated, highly acclaimed Dwayne The Rock Johnson piece, Skyscraper. And um, No spoilers. I want yeah. to see it. So, spoiler, um, <laughs> the building burns and, and oh, he breaks through glass. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the... One of, at, the, the at the very beginning, there's a scene where um, the main character should be and is in some ways deformed uh and they they show people around him it's an explosion uh spoiler alert uh there's people around him that are deformed but because he's Dwayne the rock johnson he comes out of this horrific explosion with a perfect face not a scratch on him because there's no messing with that money maker right there um and you know the whole movie is predictable all the way through and and just cheesy in the best possible ways um and you know if you expected highbrow art you wouldn't have even considered this movie it's die hard done over again uh without the buddy cop thing and takes place in china because if you put a movie in china uh, you make an extra billion dollars these days so uh, i can't i have nothing good to say about the movie but i have nothing bad to say about it either it is exactly what it sells itself as dwayne johnson being overly dramatic in a building you know and I think in a lot of ways we expect too much or we try to label too much on movies like, Oh, this movie was the greatest, you know, it's the modern day great American novel. And sometimes you just, you know, you want an escape from a world that seems increasingly out of control and just, you know, can I just for an hour forget about something and just revel in the absurdity of this movie and then after it's over i'll i'll you know i'll pick back up my load and trudge on but can't i just escape and just have stupid explosions and you know a hero who's able to you know fire 97 bullets from a revolver without reloading and jump 30 feet in the air and crash through a window and you know not even cut his shirt i mean Come on, let me have that. Don't try to make everything super realistic and overly dramatic and Oscar-worthy performances. So, um, you know, just let us have it, please. Yeah, the main That's all we the, got left. The hero in this movie, whose name I can't even remember. That's how I remember what it is. Is no John McClane. Uh, but he he holds the the trend well. But I will say there will never be another Hans Gruber. There will never be a villain as good as the sometimes German, sometimes English, sometimes American-sounding quasi-pan-European villain that was Hans Gruber. Hans, baby. (laughs) Booby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, I haven't watched a bad movie in a while, and so I wanted to to comment on that. And uh, Seth, coffee, go. Yeah, I am. You know, I'm still waiting for that uh, million dollar pay in advance order that's going to set me up for life. But um, hey, I've actually, I've actually sold coffee, and so while I'm still way in the red, you know, slightly red, less in the red, um, you know, starting at zero and building my way up, forty eight dollars in sales. You know, I guess I shouldn't have said that because I guess after taxes, I owe the government a hundred bucks now. Um, but you know, it, it's cool. It's fun. It's something who would have thought that I would enjoy making coffee. 
I don't like the taste of it. I, I still try it and I'm like, it still tastes like coffee and I don't like it, but I enjoy making it and people enjoy drinking it. I actually had one person at church. Um, I, I was going to use her as an end to her office and she like drank it and said, this tastes too smooth. I like something with bite and bitter. Yeah, so I, I hear like, that too. Yeah. yeah, I was like, wait a minute. My coffee tastes too good for you. That's why you don't want to buy it. And I just thought it was funny. I've given it to people who were like, yeah, it's fine, but I like the black sludge at the gas station. And, you know, if that's what you're into, then you don't want the pure experience. You're a PC and not a Mac at that point. You got to tap right. into the Starbucks crowd, guys. They are like sugary water. Right. Yeah, their stuff is crap. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Project Blue Book, that the, as in the Arantia book, as in UFO book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, History Channel started a series on it. It's fiction, but uh, it's the closest thing I've seen to the X-Files Wait, how in does years. It, well, how does fix fiction make it to the History Channel? I don't know. I, I, I asked they're dipping their toes in a new genre. Yeah, they're like, everybody wants to become Netflix or something. I don't know. But yeah, they've created this show. It's pretty good. Um, a little slow, but you kind of get the sense that you you have to go through the character development and the early the days in order just to be able to get a sense of where this is going to go. Cause it seems like it's a, a show that could go on for many, many seasons. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like a X file set in 1950 something or 60 something, something like that. Roswell time. Now, what was that late forties? I guess. I don't know. Something like that. Sure. Mm. We'll go with that. <laughs> there are people right yeah. now that are shouting at their podcatchers saying you morons. <laughs> Um, I, I was just talking to somebody today who was talking about wanting to go to Dallas and to see the JFK Memorial and the, the six, four museum and everything. And, uh, of course I've been there several times cause I, I lived in that area for a long time. And I said, well, the, my, my favorite part about that is not the history. It's all the nutbags walking around telling you how all of this is wrong. It's um, true. It, that's my favorite part of that experience. Right. Yeah, I, you know, you know what my favorite part of that is, is you take that museum tour up into the book depository and you stand at the window and you look down over Dealey Plaza and you see the little X's marked on yeah. the ground and you think to yourself, could I hit a moving target from here to there? And categorically, no, <laughs> no, I can <laughs> make no that way. Sound. I have no you doubt I can make, make that. that? I don't know if I could wow. make three in succession, but I could untrained, you know, country boy who grew up around guns. I could make that first shot pretty easily. Wow, you're good. Don't forget, it's moving target. That's the hard part. But moving at like 27 miles an hour. I mean, yeah, it's well, barely moving. Straight. In a straight line. Yeah, you can trust me. E any any East Texas country boy who's been squirrel hunting, <laughs> you can make that shot. That's not that's not hard. Now, getting the others the and squirrel speed, hunting. That's where the military good. training comes in. Right. Right. But of course, if you listen, to, just find a crackpot out there. There's plenty of them. And as we were we were standing on the side of the road, looking at the you know they have the X's on the road, like you said, they've literally painted a red X uh, on the road. And this dude walks up to you know that X is wrong. You know that's in the wrong spot. If you look at the film, you can clearly see. And I was just like, dude, this is why I'm here. Bring it on. Tell me. I was just his disciple. I was I was you know feed me Seymour. I, I wanted to know everything about it. Inside, I was laughing at him. Not actually just inside. I was actually outwardly laughing at him. But it's a great experience. So if you ever go to Dallas, go to Dealey Plaza, seek out those guys. Because that's the most entertainment you can have while you're there. Yep. Um, and I don't want to talk about Hangouts being disconnected. It's, it, it's going to be replaced. It's not going to be disconnected. It's just a different thing. Um, mainly, they're trying to get people away from text, texting on their phones with it. Actually, well, i got a question. Uh, this can go to anybody listening to this podcast. Does anybody have a an alternative texting app for an Android device that will work on a Wi-Fi network <clears throat> but gives you a regular phone that you can use internationally. Because that's the one thing I – and probably the only thing other than the show here. But that's probably the only thing I really use Hangouts for. So I'm, I'm looking for something that I can use as like a phone replacement that I can take with me anywhere in the world and receive and send texts and so on. And Hangouts, you don't for have the most to, part, did that. You don't have to talk to regular – phone users you're okay if you have to have those other people have to have an app 
No, I need regular. Okay. What I need is the well. My main my main reason is that we have this technology that monitors different services at our data centers, and when something goes down, I get a notification. And I've been using Hangouts because then it can follow me anywhere on the planet. Um, it's really good, but I don't think there's another there's anything like that out there. There are apps um, group. Group me or something like that similar. Uh, you can group text through an app, but if you have a phone, you can reply to the text. So you could, on your phone, you could set up a, you know, you could set up a group that would include like the number calling in your number, and if if the number from your data center if it calls, it's re- it goes to that group, which you would then see it on your other phone and be able to reply. Uh, group me maybe I can't remember the name but somebody at my church used it for communicating and it just it managed group text okay you you just need to set up an asterisk server in one of your data centers and pay two mm-hmm. bucks a month for a dial tone and yeah I've, I've got that I just yeah and I do have a an ability to text out of it the um, dial plan that we use out of a client a company in Vegas does that. But yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'm, I'm curious if just as people start experimenting with, oh, this thing's going away, what are they going to come up with to replace it? I'm all ears. Yeah, I only ever used Hangouts. And my daughters use it. Um, that's their primary communication device. But um, it's they just use it for the equivalent of FaceTime. And there will be the new version of that. I forget what they're calling it. So you're looking for the actual phone service there. I don't know what that'll be. But something, yeah, Go- somebody's going to Go- fill that gap. Yeah, Google, I'm willing to pay you here. I mean, I don't expect anything for nothing. Um, this is valuable to me. I'm willing to pay for it. I but guess you're the outlier there. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Somebody will step up and fill that service. It'll be a couple bucks a month, and it'll be a thing. It's fine. Yeah. I'll keep my eyes open. All right. All right, moving on to the news. Walmart moves one step closer closer to open warfare with Amazon. Uh, just a quick aside there. I think it was late last year, Amazon uh, uh, breached the 51% mark of all um, household purchases, all, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? E-commerce purchases, though, right? Uh, no, it was, it was like all purchasing. Oh, they they wow. hit 51% of all purchases, household purchases made in the U.S., we're through Amazon uh, oh late last God. year. So was that 51% of households purchased through Amazon or 51% <laughs> because if all you know, purchases I mean, of household goods was basically it. So it wasn't like, you know, it's not all purchases cause it's not buying tanks, right. uh, but uh, purchases made um, in a household context. I, I don't remember the details, but basically they just became the number one retailer at that point. Amazon by, uh, it took up 50% of retail sales in the U.S. late last year. Wow. That's, that's any, I don't know. I think it's scary anytime one company has over 50%. So I, I don't do. mind there being a big dog, but, you know, which is why Microsoft is scary because they have over 50% of the like server market. So, or I mean, OS, well, y'all know what I mean, but yeah. So anyway, this story, um, you know, of course, Amazon, they, they rule, uh, e-commerce. And so, uh, Walmart a while back pulled out, um, they got all of their cloud infrastructure off of the Amazon web services and Google had set up like a consortium to kind of challenge Amazon through, you know, like Google checkout and things like that. And Walmart was one of the key players in that. And so recently Walmart just pulled out of that and said, uh, we're going to go it alone. I guess they didn't want Amazon to have a chunk of their revenue. They didn't want Google to have a chunk of their revenue. So they're bidding that their, um, their store footprint everywhere is going to give them a way to do like, you know, ship to store and in-store pickup and things like that has a way for them to challenge Amazon. So they're, they're not frenemies. They're, you know, becoming more just outright enemies as Walmart looks to stay relevant in the digital shopping era. All right. So I, I just can I ask some, you, re- so I was going to just ask a question. Real quick one, it? Seth. <laughs> Um, okay. Are you are, well? Walmart using AWS for their e-commerce? 
the, they like, they stopped that like a, a couple of years ago or last year I think, but they used to. They don't anymore, yeah. but they used to. It's like Microsoft oh. running on Linux servers. I mean, right? right. Yeah. It's like got fail all over it. But you know, wow. So okay. I just did some googling while Seth was talking. It looks like you were right, Miles. It was e-commerce. So the 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 article I read apparently misquoted the stats. It's fifty one percent of e-commerce sales, but that's still pretty darn huge it's huge yeah it is so yep they're definitely they're definitely number one in america now and then you know that's obviously not worldwide even though there's a very american-centric um view of the web when journalism's report you know amazon dominates the web you know well no they dominate the american web you know china barely lets them in so things like that that you know, so of the American market, that's where they dominate. And that's just something, you know, us and our American privilege just got to get over. Well, I remember a few years ago, more than a few years ago now, probably 10 years ago, um, when Amazon was just sort of becoming the everything store that it is today. Uh, they ran a promotion for a short while there. There was a X percent, I forget, 5 or 6% discount on purchases made using geolocation inside a Best Buy store. So if you were inside a Best Buy store and you bought an electronics purchase, they gave you a discount. Um, <laughs> that's how cutthroat this industry is. That got shut down pretty quickly, but it made the point there. It's is you know, uh, and it's kind of Best Buy, Home Depot, uh, to to a lesser extent Walmart. These people have become Amazon showrooms. So people go to Walmart. They pick the thing up on the shelf. They look at it. They turn it over. They say, "I want one of these." Then they pull out their phone and they order it on Amazon. My daughter's a senior in a, at college, and she is in a business uh, course. She's doing business administration, I think. And uh, they had a, a big class about Amazon recently for the very reason of saying, at what point will Amazon get broken up by the federal government? So it, they're beginning the conversation at that level, not let's look at the rise of Amazon and what we can learn from it. No, let's see what we can do to break this thing up. <laughs> mm. I don't know. It's, it's hard to – I think that would be, at this point, a hard case to make that Amazon is, is anti-competitive to the point of being illegal in the U.S. Um, that would be a difficult thing because there are so many options. There, you can't punish somebody for just being the best at what they do. You know, when they, when they broke up Ma Bell, for example – uh, Bell owned all the copper. There were no competitors. There was no option for competitors. Somebody had to go bury copper, and then they owned the rights to the poles and the and the leeway. So you couldn't even do that. That's Verizon ran the whole FiOS thing to get around that. They d- had to dig under the streets because they couldn't use the telephone poles. So you know, I I can see that, but just because Amazon offers a quality product at a low price, <laughs> it's going to be a hard thing for the government to stick. Is it really? I mean. Maybe, well, anyway, that's the future of American politics. Uh, so while rationally I understand the argument you're making, you are assuming a level of rational thought that seems, uh, you know, more and more foreign uh, to the current governing bodies of the United States of America. Well, at least now that the government is back open again. When last we spoke, the government was shut down. Now they're open for at least three weeks. Uh, so now we can get back to suing hardworking entrepreneurs. So I'm excited about the fact that our government can once again uh, begin prosecuting its most successful uh, uh, citizens. Well, that's, you know, just because that business made the money, what right does that business think it has to actually keep the money it makes? You know, Mark, you've got to look at this from the bigger picture here. The government knows far better how to dole out the money that the business made, and it thanks the business for making the money uh, as it leaves it with a pile of lawyer bills. But I think the government is really better in a position to have its, you know, foot on the throat, I mean, um, thumb on the pulse of the American government uh, people. I'm going to butcher this. Somebody will correct me. But uh, I read a – it was just a quick quote uh, as I scrolled past the headline. I didn't even read the article. But uh, there was a a, a California congressman, I think, maybe governor. It it wasn't governor. It was somebody who was talking about how to – and the the quote is burned into my brain – how to fairly distribute the cost of the California wildfires across its citizenry. 
fairly distribute the cost. So a bunch of stuff burned down. How can we make people whose stuff didn't burn down pay for it? Welcome to America. Yep. Welcome to America. Yeah, I don't know where to go with that. I mean, I don't know. Look, I don't. I, I'm on the receiving end of Amazon's world domination because, you know, our company sells services to host stuff for people. And thankfully, the majority of our clients are governments or they're in, uh, you know, like high security or HIPAA or, you know, PCI, that sort of thing, where the client expects to be able to give me a call and say, I want to come down and visit my servers or visit your data center or see, put hands on to where the stuff is. And, you know, our whole business model is that we can walk them through this massive data center. And and I've had, you know, legislators and senators and so on come through the data center and I've pointed to the server and go, that's your server. That's where your stuff is. That's where it's backed up. Does that mean anything? Well, I don't know. Backups go digitally between. We have two data centers. We have in multiple states. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm making the assumption that I understand that things are redundantly duplicated. Anyway, the whole reason I'm pointing this up is that there's a major price premium for that uh, because it has. It's me and my guys, right? It's not a big Amazon corporation. And yet, if you're a small business and you want a website. Just roll, spin something up on AWS and, you know, pay 50 cents a day or something and you're good to go. Uh, I can't compete with that. So that entire market of non-high security regulated hosting disappeared away from us years ago. And I'd I'd love to be able to compete in that space. Um, My bandwidth's just as good as Amazon's. And, you know, I draw power from the same reserves that they do. Uh, we have the same redundancy costs that they have, so why not? But I can't. I can't. Well, it's, it's, it's the economy of scale. I mean, it's the same people who uh, bemoan the fact that Walmart put the local hardware store out of business. Um, it that's not that's not Walmart being evil. That's just the the way business works. And you know, and and Miles, you you have rightly just found a different customer base yeah. and found a thing that you excel at, and that's what you you have to do. Yeah, um, it's true. You do have to find some way to deal with it all. I just wonder, at some point, very global meta statement here, when is it less of a life experience to be in a place where you have the same vendors and the same template stores in the same cities and the same interconnected networks and the same providers everywhere you go? And you never discover anything new anymore. And there's no creative ability for a small business to come up and invent something new before they either get, get you know, shut out of business by lawyers from Corporation X or bought out of business by lawyers from Corporation X. Um, I, I don't know if that's a healthy thing for humanity. It is a very, like I say, it's, it's not that we've never had change because we've always had change, but it's getting to the point to where you can't, you know, you almost can't um, plan for the change. It happens so fast. You haven't even learned how to deal with what is today before what's coming about tomorrow is old news and you still haven't figured out how to use today's stuff yet. So it's, it's hard and it's scary because I don't know. You know, some people look at the glass half full. Some people look at the glass half empty. And other people, you know, you need an autopsy to figure out how they drowned. So, wow, that went dark really quickly there. <laughs> Sorry, I just I, I was looking for words yeah. that would you know say something different. And well, let's stop talking about global monolithic uh, software companies and move on to Google. <laughs> Right. So, I, you know, Google's motto used to be do no evil. And so they're looking at, and of course, this is like, hey, this is what's going to be coming in our browser, maybe, unless we decide to change it at the last minute and then put it in after we told you we weren't kind of thing. But so they're adding technology that would basically render ad blockers uh, ineffective and obsolete. Current. So, 
ad yeah, blockers. Current, current ad blockers. So is this a case where, you know, much like Microsoft kind of hamstrung the AV industry by releasing their own? Or, you know, is it going to be one of those, hey, you know, if the ad companies pay us, we'll give them a way to bypass the blockers kind of thing. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those. It seems to me like Google... You know, because when I look at Google, wow, look at them. They are a titan in software. They have Android. You know, they're working on another system that's not even Android. And then they have Search and they have their G Suite. Their web services tend to be lagging behind, but they are a giant in the software field. And yet, you know, moves by Amazon and Apple and Microsoft could, you know, they're like one month away from obsolescence, really. A, it's and it's just it's scary to think that a company that big could go that quickly so i don't know well let's not lose sight of the fact that google is not a software company google right. is not a hardware company google is an advertising company um that's when an advertising company makes it more difficult to block ads no one should be surprised by that um and there's several things about this that to me um this is the the panicky people panicking, right? So, in Chrome, in the Chromium source code, they're going to make it uh, difficult to impossible for add-ons to sniff incoming traffic. That is a safety and security and privacy thing. That's a good thing. Now, unfortunately, ad blockers exist by way, and as do many other extensions, by the way, uh, exist by sniffing incoming traffic. Uh, Google just wants to say we want the traffic to hit the browser first and not hit the the extension first. Uh, there will be a way around that within the browser, within the plug-in architecture, I have no doubt. But even if there's not, you know, Chrome is not um, the web. You know, the, the, they can put that in the source code. Somebody else can take it out. Uh, you know, Firefox is still out there. Um, I just don't see this as the, um, you know, the sky is falling kind of thing that the internet uh, people want it to be. It, this is a company who owns, uh, who makes their money make selling ads, making it harder to block ads. This is, I don't know why this is shocking to anybody. Well, yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice though, right? You, you choose, you, this is a personal choice. And we, the only reason why people would say it's not is because they've got habits that they can't break. The, the choice is, A, you're using Chrome. Well, you don't need to. Try Brave. There's a great browser. Mm-hmm. It's very fast and it does the job and it's not going to put you into these problems. I mean, that's that's number one. Two, well, I need to search, so I go to Google. We'll try DuckDuckGo, something that might just at least protect you a little bit away from the search. There, you know, there, there are things that – there are alternatives out there and those alternatives will never actually see the the light of day unless people embrace them for the very reason why they're there, and that is to be an alternative to all this sort of stuff. If you don't like Facebook, there are other alternatives. There's one called WeMe, for example, which is kind of an alternative decentralized Facebook. Try that. If you, you know, there, there's a lot of things. People can say, well, yeah, but no one's on there. Well, that's fine. Encourage them to get on there. Like, this is how competition is developed. It doesn't, you know, we've become so ingrained with being spoon-fed everything, like with three-year-olds. Like, here's a browser. It's Google. You can trust it. Well, what, why don't I use another browser? Don't ask that question. Just use Google. Uh, no, ask that question. Then we can have competitors. Um, but there are there are alternatives. But Miles, that would take work. And didn't complaining about it on Facebook enough? I mean, man, what more do you expect me to do? <laughs> well, I, I just I, I risk my case. <laughs> I just want to, you know, take solace in the fact that you know we we've talked about uh, the servers and 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 Amazon dominating that and and Google dominating the software world. At least none of these companies have a foothold in my home. At least the electronics in my home are perfectly safe from any intrusion from any giant monolithic company, right? You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? Sorry. (laughs) But yeah, so Amazon has moved one step closer and their foot is not only in the door, now it's like, now they own the door that you're trying to lock them out of. So they recently um, developed, or they recently 
um, acquired a seat on the board of the Zigbee Alliance, which is the Zigbee wireless protocol is not something that you're going to use um, on your day-to-day things, but it has a lot to do with um, uh, internet of things and household automation and all of that kind of stuff. And now, so in addition to having Alexa everywhere in the Amazon Fire tablet and the Amazon app running on your phone and all that kind of stuff, now they have a seat on the Zigbee Alliance to help shape the protocol and make sure that their devices are more finely tuned and fully supporting of it. So anyway, you know, it's just it's they're one step closer. They they're getting their foot out of e-commerce and into, you know, your physical real estate because, you know, there will come a point to where if you're not online people won't think you're home you know oh you still live here i haven't you know you haven't popped up online well i got rid of all my amazon stuff well then you're dead to me i can't talk to you anymore because alexa doesn't like that so of of course let's uh put into context that getting onto the board just means they paid a bunch of money right Um, that it doesn't necessarily mean that they have any kind of ruling authority at this point at this point but right. you know this is and like i say this is you know you gotta you gotta come on mark i'm trying to get some sparks going here don't <laughs> what are you doing throwing water on the fire but you know this is the first and again in a in one way this is good because alexa is very popular and it, you want to make sure it interfaces you know there's not a lot of home automation stuff that is widespread but you know and there's competing silos like the nest kind of works well with google but does it interface with alexa uh probably not very much so this is just a way to make sure that they won't get locked out of the stack by other companies coming in and buying a seat on the board so now the other companies are beholden to amazon because amazon paid the most to get their seat there so they have the money to turn this into uh well this is how you're going to do it if you want to use this protocol because we own the protocol and again i'm not saying that's what it is i'm and again i'm not saying amazon's going to do that but it just puts them in a position to more firmly have their you know finger on the pulse of home automation wow which could be good or bad Miles, you were going to say something? Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I, there was a really interesting. I listened to the um, uh, twenty six hundred groups off the off the hook podcast every week, and they had a very interesting story about this stuff this week, um, and it's related directly to this. Uh, you know, Nest. I think it's the Google. The, you know, they originally were the thermostats, and Google bought them. Now they're part of their their company. Um, apparently, they also have security cameras. And whatever happened to rush security cameras into the market, some uh, family in uh, an apartment somewhere in San Francisco apparently was having dinner or watching TV. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they hear the, uh, I guess, like the national emergency uh sort of alarms, bells, I guess you get on your phone when there's a hurricane or whatever nearby. They got one of these saying that there were three imminent missiles coming from North Korea about to hit the United States. And, of course, they freaked out and they couldn't work out where this noise was coming from, what was going on, you know, nothing. They couldn't work anything out about this stuff, only to find out that somebody had hacked into their security camera, which was a Nest device, and had apparently there's a speaker on these cameras and had blasted this pre-recorded message in. And so they're like calling 911 and they're freaking out and they're, you know, their kids are like diving under the, the table and they're, they're ready for imminent, you know, catastrophe. And it was just some idiot having a prank on their devices. The problem was that the Nest company with Google and all of its wonderful wisdom that we trust apparently didn't tell these people to change the default passwords on these devices when they're selling it. And, I mean, it's like not the first thing you do, right? Well, apparently it's not the first thing you do when you're trying to rush this stuff into the market. And so somebody created a bot that 
found everybody who had default passwords and broadcasted this audio into it and was just causing complete havoc. Um, that's the world we live in right now. And it's easy to say, well, it's just security fail and, you know, they should have done better and blah, blah, blah. But that's the world we live in right now. Yeah, you can no longer assume that your consumer of technology is a savvy tech user. Um, in the early days of the home automation stuff, only the geeks bought this stuff, and, and the geeks knew the first thing you do is you change your password. But now, as you're marketing to the masses, you can't make that assumption anymore. And that's just a growing pain that, you know, how many um, uh, DSL routers were sold with a default password embedded in it. Now that doesn't happen anymore. Now you get this sticker on it with some random gibberish that you have to type in. We've learned and this is just uh, growing uh, growing pains of a new industry. But, Miles, you said it right. They're trying to get it into the house first and then figuring out what, what you can do with it once you get it into the house. Yeah. But if, if they want to dominate, you would also have to wonder, well, if the bad guys can get in because of poor password manipulation, so too can the good guys. And right. the good guys, if that's Google or Amazon, they're watching your every move. Right. And a security camera, by definition, watches your every move. Exactly. Right. And, and what's to say you don't have a rogue employee at Amazon or Google who decides to go nutso and, you know, go postal because they've got imminent termination coming or something and they decide to use this as a, as a means of revenge. I mean, human beings, people, come on. But, you know, when you have these giant monolithic companies uh, who, you know, have problems like this, at least you can can, can count on the U.S. Uh, legal system, specifically the courts, to be very timely and, and uh, proactive in their responses to these sort of things, right? Of course, Mark. And this is a story that we have been covering since the um, Everyday Linux podcast, um, Google versus Oracle, round 749 uh, Mark II. And so Google has filed a petition asking the Supreme Court to rule on when code can be copyrighted. Can you copyright an API? Well, the various courts have answered that question in the following ways. Yes, you can. No, you can't. We don't know. Maybe. And sure, kind of, but not really. So all of those answers have been official case law at one point or another in the United States legal system. And so Google is asking the Supreme Court to say, hey, tell us where the legal line is, what can be copyrighted and what can't be. And of course, Oracle is saying, hey, we won the last time, so we don't think this case should go any further. And Google goes, we won the time before that. It's our turn to win, and we want our turn to win to be the last time. So, you know, um, they just keep passing the, you know, you owe $1 million in damages. Oh, yeah, well, you owe $2 million in damages. Oh, yeah, you owe $15 million in damages. Oh, yeah, you own a billion. Oh, yeah, you own the moon. You own the moon times, you know. And so, you know, it's just two kids on the playground who have nothing better to do because lawyers got a law. Uh, you know, go go make me some money, lawyers. I'm paying you anyway. Uh, you can't golf all day. So the case started back in 2010. And, you know, Google, of course, wants a favorable ruling so they don't lose billions of dollars. And Oracle wants a favorable ruling so they gain billions of dollars. And the rest of the world just says, you know, you're killing the industry here. Why can't we all just get along? And this is why Google is pushing for the new Fuchsia OS. Right. Not, not because Android is no longer valuable, but because they're afraid they might lose this thing. Although they have lost it, I guess. They might continue to stay lost. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> know. Another reason would be forced to buy new phones, I guess. Hmm. You know, it just makes you wonder, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. Well, I wanted to let you and all of the fine Opie heads know that on January the 21st, 1988, Tetris sneaks into the U.S. The computer game Tetris made its first appearance in the United States as a PC game. The company that released the game was Spectrum Holobyte which had dubious licensing at best rights to the game. When companies became interested in licensing Tetris for other platforms beside the PC, a series of events kicked off a long legal battle, although not quite as long as Oracle versus Google, in which the big winner was eventually Nintendo, which used the... 
Tetris to drive sales of its new Game Boy platform. And really, that's the one handheld video game console I want is the original Game Boy with the Tetris cartridge. You don't need anything else that will keep you content for hours on end. And Mark, that happened this week in history back in 1988. And now back to you. You know, you can do that on your phone, right? Like today, right now, you don't need to get a Game Boy. No, I want the buttons. Okay. Up, down, B, A, you know, <laughs> rotate, all that kind of stuff. Not not the Konami code, although I want, I've never tried it on Tetris. Um, but, you know, I like, and I, because I learned Tetris on a Game Boy, the colors have always looked weird to me. Um, I just, that that's the screen I want. I mean, I played that game so much. I, I was riding in the back of a van going like to a, a church thing. And, you know, I was playing along, went through this tunnel for about 30 seconds and I came out the other side still playing. So in sheer blackness and it was awesome. I love me some Tetris. Yeah. So, so kids, you don't know what a, what a, uh, accomplishment that was because you don't know, you've never known a screen that wasn't backlit. But no, on the original right. Game Boy, there was no light. So when he went through the tunnel, it was dark. Very um, dark. Yeah. Um, I, I would wager that most people alive today who've played Tetris have never played it on a PC. And to know that in 1988, it, 1988, it came as a PC game. I bet a lot of people didn't even know it, it, it ever was a PC game. Or when it, when it did get here, they thought it was a, um, a copy of the Nintendo version. Um, I've seen interviews I've, with the with the Russian guy that invented that. He he made nothing. He made nary a penny on that. The Russian government may have made something. You know, he came from a communist country. Take note, millennials, as you're trying to turn this country communist, take note. When you are a communist country, you don't make money for the things you make. So this guy who would had he been in the US be a multi-billionaire was a multi-nothingaire because the government took whatever money there was. And that's, that's why okay. he hacked Facebook. <laughs> The government would have just taken it from him in taxes anyway. That's the really the only difference between communism and capitalism. Communism just takes all the money up front. The government, uh, you know, capitalism lets you grab the money and then they come take it from you because it's easier to get it from one person than a hundred. So, yeah, yeah, but at least they only take eighty percent of it here and not a hundred percent. Oh, that's true. I I may lose some some geek cred for saying this, but I never liked playing Tetris. Just not my game. I can see Seth. <laughs> Seth just Seth just unfriended me. Just right there. Twenty five years of relationship just went out the window. This will be the last broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> he just mentally clicked the unfriend button in his mind. I saw it right. in his eyes. I'll give you some support, right? I I also skipped over Tetris in my quest to play every single game that ever came out on a computer since 1977. For some reason, I saw it went, eh, and then moved on to back to Space Invaders or something. I can't remember. I just, I liked it, you know, but it's, it's made for, it's made for lonely guys. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's a perfect game for me. So. I said 25 years, but Seth, we actually met 28 years ago. It's a, wow. It's a long time. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, wow. uh, you know, as you are, um, uh, you know, now gainfully employed, actually have a side hustle now, you've gone from being the guy who, who wants to make me less productive so you look like a better hiring option to dominating the world itself. Seth, what do you have this week for the, your world domination starter kit? All right. Well, if you happen to win the lottery and have an extra $1.35 million lying around, you can buy a diesel-powered battle robot complete with cockpit. Um, It even has phones you can operate from your cell phone. It has an integrated phone in the cockpit. Um, It is a – it is just, you know – I think I might do like a GoFundMe to see if I can get the funds so I could buy one of these because – I just think it would be fun to own a mech that I could then like get an axe built for and just, you know, go through my property, just bashing over trees and just having fun. This is diesel powered battle robot for the win, Alex. If you started a GoFundMe for Get Seth a 40 foot mech, I would fund that, that GoFundMe. <laughs> I would do that. Just, just you know, I wouldn't even ask for a ride in it. Just to know that you had like a plus size cockpit in a battle mech. Yeah, I'm down. Sign yeah. up for that. 
and count me in. <laughs> the one bad thing is the you know of course there's a video on the website you can go and watch this tiny um, looks like Japanese girl get in the cockpit and doesn't seem small in the cockpit. So, you know, this might be what it would take to get me to lose 100 pounds. You know, <laughs> you, you know weight limit 250. I would figure out a way. If it said weight limit 75, I would find a way. So That's awesome. Um, I, I, I haven't watched the video, but I have seen a few of these things, various builds in the fat, and they generally move like tortoises, uh, you know, who are on Haldol or something you know it, it can do like 10 or 15 miles an hour so it, yeah, it's not gonna win it, it won't be able to keep up with a tank but like if it if it comes across like a sherman tank it might could pick up a sherman tank yeah you know how about it, I, personally while this looks super cool i would rather have a life-size atst um that would be my vehicle of choice the the things from uh uh return of the jedi that the oh yeah okay yeah yeah i mean that's uh yeah i don't know no i would rather have them i would rather have a mech with arms that i could hit stuff with yeah and by the way you just lost major friend friend cred for not knowing what an atst was (laughs) so yeah we're disappointing each other left and right tonight (laughs) right all right, this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Let us know what's on your mind, what you want to see, what you don't want to see. Uh, go to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, fill out the form there that will send an email uh, to my in-basket that gets priority there. I will read your emails before I read emails about uh, opportunities from Nigerian princes. Um, you can also dial 559-IMOP, leave us a voicemail. It is still working. We had a listener leave a message to say, hey, just making sure this still works. Thank you, listener, for doing that. <laughs> um, or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. Also, if you want to give us money, we are happy to have that money. Patreon.com slash elementop. That would be a great thing. Um, we appreciate you being with us. Um, this is truly a, a a labor of love. We enjoy doing it, but it is a labor. Um, it takes effort and time every week, and we do it uh, hopefully um, because you appreciate it. And uh, let us know one way or the other. The best thing you could do, however, is to share it with a friend. Leave us a rating or a review on your podcast source of choice, iTunes or a Podcast Attic or whatever. Just tell people about us. If you like us, tell people about us. If you don't like us, keep that to yourself. Uh, Seth Miles, any final words of wisdom before we say goodnight? Two plus two equals no. four. <laughs> Unless you're an Intel Pentium. Right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. That's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. And remember, pay for what you like.